Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. How many of you know that in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that the gospel message did not profit those people back then because they didn't mix faith with it? How many of you know that? They had a covenant with God. They were given the good news, but they did not mix faith with what they heard. And as a result of not mixing faith with it, it did not profit them. How many of you want that kind of a religion? How many of you want that kind of a relationship with God? You you heard it. You know what he said. You know what is yours, but you don't mix faith with it. And so you don't have the reality of it. Do you want that? Absolutely not. Well, how many of you know then that the enemy's purpose then is to see to it that we don't develop faith in God? Can you understand that? If he can prevent us from mixing faith with the gospel, then although the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which is complete and total deliverance for mankind, mankind will not be free. Because, you see, it's received by faith. It's all received by faith. And so, obviously, he's going to target our faith and our faith lives so as to see to it that we do not develop faith in God. Faith in our covenant rights. Faith in the promises of God. Can you understand that? See, sometimes we take it too personal. We think we may be somebody special because, you know, he's on our back door or whatever, at our back door. But understand this. It's not the individual. It's the fact that the individual is stepping out in faith. And because you're stepping out in faith, he understands that you become a threat to his kingdom. And therefore, he wants to see to it that he silences our faith so that our faith is non-productive. And ineffective. So let's not forget that. That's what happened to those people back then. They didn't believe God. And as a result of not mixing faith with what they heard, it didn't profit them. It didn't benefit them. And so seemingly God wasn't responding to them, but he really was. And was, he was trying to, but they were not cooperating with him through faith. And finally, he had to set aside a people, a group under the leadership of Joshua and taught them once again faith. And as they began to appropriate faith and walk in the light of faith, then the full blessings fell upon them. Doubt and unbelief kept the Israelites under Moses out of the promises of God. But under the leadership of Joshua, they were enjoyed by all. Amen? So let's not forget that, beloved. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13 and, and verse 10 because one way the enemy will use to... One thing that the enemy will use to get us out of faith, or one way the enemy will come against us to stop us from developing faith, is targeting our minds or our reasoning faculties. To get us to believe partial truth and yet still be deceived. You know, if you want to poison something like an animal, you don't, like a dog, you don't just give it poison. You put it in a big old steak and it might eat, it'll eat the steak and then it'll die. I'm not saying anybody should do that. I'm just illustrating that. That's how you do that. So the enemy is going to give you, a, you know, let you hear a lot of truth, but put a little bit of poison in it. Why? Because he quotes scripture to us like he did to Jesus. And we think it's all right because it's scripture. But you see, if you're, if you're not... 
alert enough, you won't know that it's taken out of context or it's misrepresented. As a result, there's a little bit of poison in there. You feed on that and you think you're doing okay. But in actuality, your faith is poisoned. Ineffective, non-productive. We must renew our minds to the Word of God, beloved, and be serious about it and invite the Spirit of God to quicken us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word. We set ourselves on purpose to receive from Your Word and we invite the Holy Ghost to teach us tonight. We open our hearts, making them available to His teaching ministry, believing that we receive revelation knowledge and understanding and wisdom of all the things that pertain to life and godliness. I personally thank you for utterance and for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, that the Word will find its lodging within our hearts and take root and bear fruit in each and every life. And Father, we'll give you the glory for all that's accomplished tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, we read, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. I'm sorry, 10, 13. Did I say 13, 10? I'm not divine. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. See, my spirit took me to 1 Corinthians 13, 10, even though my mouth said 10, 13. Because I've hid the word in my heart. <laughs> there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow or suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Before I comment on that particular verse, can I give you a combined translation? It's called a splatter barrel. Just, just all kinds of different translations put together to make one. Is that okay? Weymouths and, you know, just amplified and New English and whatever. Listen to it like this. No temptation or trial has come your way that is not common to all mankind. God is faithful to His promises and will not permit you to be tempted beyond your powers of endurance. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can come through it victoriously. Now, that sounds a whole lot different than what's being taught in many Christian circles today. Many imply the idea that God is behind the, the, the trial or the temptation. And that He's not going to, you know, you're going to be able to bear up under this load. Just, you know, He'll help you along the way and get you through that thing. And just, just hang in there. That's not what this is saying at all. It makes no sense to me whatsoever that God is going to cause a trial and put a trial in my life or a temptation and be the same one to make the way of escape. It's like he's playing a game with us, with my mind. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. We're not unintelligent beings. I mean, we know that either God is for us or God is against us. He's either on our side or he's not. What this is really saying to us is that God does not permit Satan to use anything beyond our ability to endure. And whatever comes our way must come from within the scope of humanity. He can't use powers beyond our abilities to endure. 
He can't go and use things that are out there that are beyond us, in other words. We have the ability through the power of God to, to, to stand against all that comes our way, is what that is saying. And if you don't understand what to do to escape it, go to God. He'll show you the way He made to escape that particular thing that's coming your way. God is not the one putting that on us. I heard this one sister say, God, I just can't take anymore. You said that I can bear it, but I can't bear it. I can't take it. See, and what she was was overloaded and overburdened. Why? She thought she had to take all that because God was giving it to her. That was part of her sufferings for God. And she was bogged down and burdened down by all these afflictions and troubles and difficulties and trials and temptations and whatnot. You know, and she's barely making it. Just barely getting along. And finally, all of a sudden, there comes the straw that broke the camel's back. A tragedy took place. And you know what she actually did, beloved? She turned her back on God. Why? She told me, because everyone I went to told me that God did this. God did this in my life. God did that in my life. God did this in my life. And he said, I can bear it. And God did this in my life. And God did that. And I listened to all those people. God, uh, you know, did all these terrible things. Finally, when God killed my baby, she said, that was it. I quit. I give up on Christianity. I give up on God. As far as I'm concerned, I turn my back because I don't want to serve a God like that. That I can't bear. I felt so bad. I mean, compassion just rose up in my heart for her. I tried to get a hold of her and, and just to shake it into her thinking. But she was so brainwashed and so untaught and so mistaught. And, and so improperly programmed, I couldn't get her to see clearly that God was not her problem. God was not her problem. God provides the solutions to problems. He does not initiate the problems. He's not playing games with us, beloved. He knows our frailty. He knows our, our, our human weaknesses. He is letting us know right here in this particular text that no matter what comes your way, no matter what it is that comes my way, it's within the framework of human experience. And whatever is within that framework, we have the potential to rise up above it and overcome it and be victorious over it. That's what he's saying to us. And that's how we must receive this. You see, beloved, if God is the one who shows us the way to escape temptation's powers, well, how can we say that God is the one who's bringing the temptation our way? It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to reason or logic. God is for us. God is not against us. Well, then... Who is the one who's responsible for those temptations, trials, difficulties, problems, and, and situations that arise, the adversities and all that, that comes our way? Well, 1 Peter 5 and 8 reveals to us the one who is responsible. Now, let's turn there together and read that. And once again, I'm going to give you somewhat of a combined translation, if that's okay. Do you mind these combined translations? They're helpful. They're explanatory. I mean, they're helpful. They're not misappropriating the Word of God. It's just, Moffat says it this way, and, you know, that's, that's wonderful. It gives us a little bit more lighter insight, and that's good. Someone expresses it a different It's all saying the same thing. 
but we're just using the words that they used. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober and be vigilant. Well, in, in the combined translation, it says, just awake and be on alert. Be on the alert. Well, there's, that's the same thing. Be sober, be vigilant, wake up, be awake, stay alert. It says the same thing. Why? Because your adversary, your opponent. You have an adversary. I have an adversary. Your opponent. We have one that stands against us. The devil. Who's our adversary? Who's our opponent? Who's the one that stands against us? Who's the one that doesn't want our faith to work? Can you understand that then? See, he tells us who he is. It's very clear right here. Your opponent, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, he can't devour us unless we say he can or allow him to. He is seeking whom he may devour. We, we have to learn how to say you may not. Amen. May I put sickness and disease on you, he says, and what are you going to say? No. You may not. In the name of Jesus. Well, can I destroy your faith then? You may not. I refuse to give you a license to do that. It's like when the UPS man comes, knocks on your door and says, I've got a package for you. Well, what's it got inside? Well, rattlesnakes and scorpions. Slam that thing shut as fast as you can. Put a lock on it and say, I don't want any. Take it back from whence it came, you know, wherever it came from. We refuse to accept it. We have to learn that he cannot devour us unless we let him devour us. And the way we allow him to devour us is through wrong thinking and wrong believing. If he can get us to believe wrong, beloved, then he can get us to speak wrong and open up the door to the UPS man who has all the snakes and scorpions and everything else. The package of sickness and disease and calamity and everything else that comes can come against us from the kingdom of darkness. We've got to learn, beloved, that he may not devour us if we say he may not devour us. That's why verse 9 says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, let me give you that full free translation or combined translation. Awake. Be on the alert. Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling about looking for someone to devour. You say, don't look over here. Don't look my way. Withstand him firm in your faith. Withstand him firm in your faith. That is a command. Withstand him firm in your faith is a command given to believers. Withstand him firm in your faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Why does he say that? Don't think, woe's me. Why is this happening to me? See, we're not to think like that. Everyone in the world, all Christians, all believers everywhere, face the same opponent. The same world, the same devil, and the same flesh. It's like one says, I've had a horrendous day today. It was so hard and so tough. I'm so tired. I'm ready to collapse. And the other one who had maybe even a harder day says, 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. Praise God Almighty. Hallelujah. I've got the victory in Jesus. What sustains you? The Word of God does. What holds you up? The Word of God does. Why? See, the attitude of the heart, the way we view things, the way we respond to things. You know, if we have a pessimistic attitude, beloved, it's going to be an open door to the enemy. Did you know that? And I'm not talking positive thinking. I'm talking about believing in line with the Word of God. And just because God happens to be positive, what can I say about that? I'd rather be full of faith than full of doubt and unbelief. I'd rather be full of light than full of darkness. What about you? I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic. What about you? We have to learn how to say, I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. I can accomplish the purpose of His will for my life and in my life. The same afflictions, beloved, come against all of us. And we recognize that the enemy is bringing them our way. Why? He is attacking our faith. Wants to see to it that our faith is non-productive and ineffective. And if he can do that, if he can understand that, then he knows he can pour it on in that area and pour it on in that area and keep us in a state of defeat. And that's why it's important for us to be awake and be on the alert. Knowing the enemy comes against all of us, no matter who we are, and we have to learn how to resist him in our faith and be firm in our faith. Knowing the promises of God. Didn't 1 Corinthians 10, 13 say, and you see, you think I'm not talking about the covenant. God is faithful to His promises. Right there is the covenant. God said it. God swore by an oath. God made a promise. God is faithful to it. Do you see that? And although there are enemies coming against us to do what? To destroy our faith. To challenge what we believe. We don't think it's a strange thing. We don't think we're the only ones that are being attacked out there. He's attacking every single one of us, everyone who's getting into the Word of God. Coming to destroy our faith so that we can't rise up and, and experience all the blessings of God in our lives. So learn to stand firm is what he's saying. Learn how to resist the force of opposition. The adversity that comes our way, the problems, the troubles, the difficulties, the trials, we've got to rise up in faith and be firm in our faith and realize that God is faithful to His promise. And you know what? He may think He's got me on this one, but I know there's a way of escape. Do you ever find yourself in a situation, I just don't know what to do, and why is this happening, and where is it coming from? Hold on just for a moment. And start thinking along these lines. God said, God promised, That's right. what? With everything that comes our way, there's a way of escape. I would say God's on our side. God's not the one putting the problem in our life. God's the one on our side to help us get out of that situation. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is talking about. See, God is working with us and we are cooperating with Him. He's the one making our way of escape. And that's what we're to do. To go to Him and find out, Father God, you know the whole picture. Reveal it to me, and he will. Well, let's, let's make, this, make note of this. If you haven't done so already, and sometimes, you know, I, I just take things for granted, and I don't want to do that at all. If you haven't made this dividing line in your life, make it tonight. If you don't understand this dividing line, understand it tonight. John 10.10 10 is the dividing line between what God does and Satan does. 
John 10.10, Jesus himself said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. Why did Jesus come? To give us life in abundance. Why does Satan come? To steal, to kill, to destroy. Whatsoever steals, whatsoever kills, whatsoever destroys comes from the kingdom of darkness. Whatsoever promotes life in abundance comes from the kingdom of God. And let's draw that line. Let's make certain that we understand that. We're on this side and he's on that side. And you know what? We were once in that kingdom bound up by darkness. But thanks be to God, he delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated us. Took us out of that kingdom, praise God. Put us over in the kingdom of light. We're in the light. We're children of light. We're in the light, praise God. Can you see that? That literally took place. And what that means is we're not bound any longer by darkness. And darkness cannot hold us in bondage. We are in the light. And in that kingdom, the kingdom of light, there's abundant life. And that's why Jesus came to give you life more abundantly. So thanks be to God. God does all that. And, and of course, the enemy does that which is evil. Well, now turn with me. And while you're turning there, remember what he said here about afflictions. These afflictions come on all of us. Well, now go on back to Psalm 34. The 34th Psalm. Afflictions come against every single one of us. Problems come to every single one of us. Situations that are adverse come to every single one of us. Difficulties come our way. Have you ever had a difficult day or a difficult time or a difficult situation arise in your life? I'm sure you have. Have you ever been afflicted or persecuted? I'm sure you have. Has your faith ever been challenged or tested? You know, for the most part, if you think that God is behind all that, you won't even fight. You won't even do anything to see to it that your faith stands. You won't even realize that you've got to stand firm in your faith against the, the, the devil who is the roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. You, you'll think that God is the one who has authored this and he's the one who authorizes it and he's the one who's behind it. And he has a reason for it like so many have been taught that he has a reason for it. And therefore, just sit under the, the, the burden of it, sit under, you know, the, the, the force of it and sit back and wait for something good to happen. It's not going to happen. It was designed to kill, steal, or destroy. It didn't come from God. It came from the wicked one. It came from the enemy. It came from the kingdom of darkness. And what we are to do is to resist it and stand against it firm in our faith, beloved. In Psalm 34 and verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And the ears, his ears rather, are open under their cry. Well, the devil, as a roaring lion, roams about, prowling about to do what? To seek whom he may devour. But I read over there in the book of Psalms where it talks about, we'll tread upon the lion. And you know why? Because the eyes of the Lord are upon us. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth them, heareth and delivereth them out of half of their troubles. I better get that, fella. That's not a good combined translation, is it? The eyes of the Lord see upon the righteous and when they're in trouble... They realize 
that God's eyes are upon me right now. When they're afflicted, they recognize that God's on my side. And they look to God for deliverance or for help in their time of need. And what does God do? The Bible says God delivers them out of all their troubles. All their troubles. All their troubles. You thought there was one too big for God. All their troubles. You thought there was one too small for God. All their troubles. God's eyes are upon you. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright before Him. Satan is seeking whom he may devour. God is seeking whom he can help. Who would you rather yield to? I'd rather yield to God. What about you? God is, is running about. Satan's walking. God is running to your aid. Running to assist us. Running to help us. You know what that word help means in the Hebrew when God says, I will help you? It means to make an advance toward you, to assist you in whatever you need. And if he doesn't have it, he'll make it. Think about that. So whatever help we need, God will see to it that we have that help. He'll get it to us. Well, let's not stop there. Because the Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart. And save it such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. I like that. Not part of them, not some of them, not half of them, all of them. You say, but I don't understand this. You know, we suffer persecution and affliction, troubles, difficulties, problems. They come our way. They don't come from God. Well, then why do they come our way? Why are they coming against us? Beloved, turn with me. Put your bookmarker over there in Psalm 34 and turn with me to, to, to Mark 4. And I want you to see something here about why afflictions and persecutions come our way. They come against us or they come our way for the word's sake. When we start learning the Word of God, when we start hearing the Word of God, the enemy cannot permit us to develop faith in God's Word. When we start accurately hearing the Gospel message, learning that we have authority, learning that we have a covenant with God, learning that we can believe God for big things and and great and mighty things, that we can put the devil beneath our feet where he belongs and rise up above all his powers... When we start learning that and just hearing it by the wayside, I want you to know the enemy will unleash a relentless attack against that person's life. Why? Because that person is in danger of becoming a threat to his kingdom and his works upon this earth. And he doesn't want that. If he can get you to fall back into religion, and like I have been saying, have that quesada-sada attitude... You know, what will be, will be. You can't resist God. Whatever He's going to do, He's going to do. Sit back and just take it all in. And that's, that's it's foolishness that came straight from the pit. It's exactly what the devil wants. Because if you think it's coming from God, who will resist God? Who will fight against God successfully and win? No one's going to be able to do that. 
And beloved, I'm going to say it again about sickness and disease and medicine and all that. You realize that if God was against us being healthy and God put a sickness on us for a specific purpose, God wanted us to be sick for a reason, you realize you can go to the finest doctor and you can get the most effective medication in the world. You realize it would be helpless, hopeless, and ineffective against that disease. What sickness can remove the hand of God? I mean, I'm sorry. What medication can remove the hand of God? What medication? That's impossibility. Just the idea of the very fact that one can be helped or assisted or aided through any kind of medical science or whatever shows us that God can't be against someone getting well. God is for our health. God wants us to be well. And if a medication helps us to get well to achieve that, God's not against us getting well, beloved. Like I said, it would be totally ineffective and would do no good at all because God would be enforcing that sickness. And you're not going to remove the hand of God through anything. You can even cut it out. It'll still be there. Can you see that? So we're not fighting God is what I'm saying. We're standing against the opposing forces of darkness. God is for our well-being. He's not against us. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 14, it says, The sower soweth the Word. Anyone can go out planting their, the Word of God, sowing the Word of God in people's lives, and start talking to people about the Word of God. These are they by the wayside. When the Word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the Word that was sown in their hearts. Who comes immediately? Our opponent, the adversary. Why does he come? To take away the Word. Notice he wasn't coming for any other reason, to take away the Word. Not because we're somebody special, but to take away the Word. It's the Word he's afraid of. It's the Word that is powerful. And he does not want us to have a clear, concise understanding of our covenant rights, the principles of faith, our authority, the power of the name, and all that is ours as children of God. Why? Because the Word will put him in his place, and that's beneath our feet. And that word acted on in faith will unleash the blessings of God to a person's life and make him a threat to his kingdom. And that's why he'll come immediately. Come immediately. And you think he's going to come with that long tail, that red tail and pitchfork and horns and all that and show up on your doorstep and, you know, start jabbing. He's not going to do that. He's going to come disguised in religion. Clothed in a religious cloak. Oh, God didn't mean that. What did he tell Eve? Hath God said? Well, now, God didn't mean you'd die if you ate that. He was just, you know, thinking out loud. Well, what did he mean? Hath God said? No, God hath said. Don't make it a question, hath God said? Hath God said? Your response would be, God hath said. And what God says is, I will not question what God said. Can you see that? I will not question that. God said it. He'll challenge us and instill thoughts into our minds, religiously brainwashing people to get them to think. Well, God brought that on you. God wants you sick. 
He'll teach you a, a big, humongous lesson in your sickness. Mm-hmm. He used to heal, you know. When the disciples and the apostles died, miracles ended. Wouldn't it be wonderful you can go back? But you can't go back and turn back the clock and live in those days of miracles. You know how many believe that? But we find out the truth. The God of miracles isn't dead. He's alive. Jesus rose from the dead victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. And what power they had back then? We've got the same power. Amen. And I thought about this too as I was meditating in the Word just a little bit. I thought about this. We've got the whole book in a neat package. The church, the, the church at Colossae, you know what they had? One letter. That's all. They had one letter. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. A couple over there to the church at Corinth. The Galatian churches. Ephesus. The Ephesian church. He wrote them individual letters. Now, they may have got together and compared letters. We got this whole thing in a neat package. You know, we got just the potential to get as much faith as we possibly can. Well, here it says again that Satan comes immediately for the word's sake. And these are they, and look at verse 16, likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time, afterward when God afflicts them, and God persecutes them. Yeah, God wants to afflict us and persecute us to get the war out of us, right? Is that why God afflicts us and persecutes us? To get the word out of us. Why does persecution arise? Listen carefully. When affliction or persecution arise, here's our answer, for the word's sake. Why does it arise? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Why? Now you know why. Because you're getting into the word. That's why. And for the word's sake comes or arises afflictions. Persecutions. Why? See, don't take it so personal. Don't think that we're somebody special in, in the sight of the devil. Because we're not. As far as he's concerned, none of us is special. No one is special. As far as he's concerned, he, wants, he hates every single one of us and wants to destroy us in the lake of fire. As far as he is concerned, because he knows that's where he's going. He's coming at you because you started hearing the word. And like Peter, he's coming to, to, to sift you like wheat. Yeah. What does that mean? He is coming to see to it, or see as to whether or not you have faith in God or you just heard somebody else talk and now you've got big talk because you heard somebody else talk the line of faith. To find out whether or not it's factual or fictitious. Is your faith a fact? Is it based on fact? I believe God. Why? Because oh, Brother Doodad down the street said something. I heard them say it too, you know, and therefore I, I say the same thing. I believe it, whatever they say. I heard this one fellow, you know, he's talking, answering a question, said, you believe that's what the Word of God says? He said, well, Brother So-and-so said it does. If he said it does, I believe it. That person doesn't know for himself, does he? He's basing what he believes on Brother So-and-so down the street. I'm not, I don't base it on, you've got to get to the Word of God for yourself and say, you know what, I know exactly what it said. God said this, I've studied it through, I've meditated it. You know what, that's what it says. That's my faith talking. Amen. I believe it. 
He'll find out what you're made of. Sift you like wheat to separate the course, which is good. See, that's what he wants to do to find out just how much faith you have. And so that's why afflictions arise and persecutions arise. But the Lord delivered them out of them all. Why is affliction coming against you now? Because you're special? No, but because you're hearing the Word of God. And because you're hearing the Word of God, you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness if you ever develop faith in the Word of God. So immediately comes the devil to remove the Word from your heart. You heard that God provided your needs, so there's a heavier burden financially upon you because He doesn't want you to experience the reality of God providing your needs. Do you see that? That's exactly what to do. Target that area of your life wherever you're speaking because He hears you speaking. He hears you talking the language of faith and He'll say, okay, let's, let's find out what's really on the inside of these people. Attack your life in that area and all of a sudden, you know, He hears you saying, well, I thought God delivered me from that. Well, I guess He didn't. He goes, yeah, I knew it. He's just mimicking somebody else. That's not really faith. See? Afflictions arise for the Word's sake. And if he can get us to, to believe wrong, to think wrong, then, beloved, he'll just, just like the, the book of Hebrews says, the gospel was preached to them, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix faith with it. He'll get us to the same place. We've got a better covenant established upon better promises, but it won't profit us. It won't benefit us. Why? Because, you know, we're confused when it comes to how to receive all these blessings of God because, you know, we don't really walk in the light of faith. Well... We're going to learn some things that will help us. Go on back to Psalm 34, if you would, please. It arises for the Word's sake, but God delivers us out of them all. Well, if that's the case, then you know, maybe we shouldn't be learning so much, Brother Pastor. <laughs> Let's take this thing a little bit at a time if that's going to happen, you know. I mean, I don't know that I want to be learning so much because I'm responsible for more to whom much is given, you know, much is required and all that. And maybe it's just better that we just don't learn these truths. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> now, we don't want to remain spiritually babes, spiritual babes, do we? Now, we want to rise up and be the children of God that he wants us to be, taking our place as productive fruit-bearing branches in the vine. In verse 1 it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 34 and verse 1. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. No, let's keep on seeking the Lord through the Word. Let's keep studying the Word and seek the Lord. Let's learn our rights. Let's learn our privileges. Let's learn what we have. Let's be taught of the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. And you know what? He hears us and delivers me from all my afflictions, my troubles, my persecutions, and my fears. No, let's keep learning more knowing we are to fear God more than the devil. Let's not be afraid because Satan will come for the word's sake. Affliction will arise for the word's sake. Persecution will arise for the word's sake. Let's not fear that. Let's not be afraid of that. Then back off from the word and say, well, we better just take it easy and take it slow. No, I sought the Lord and he heard me. 
Let's develop that type of optimistic attitude that the psalmist had, that David had when he said, I, when I seek God, He hears me. I'm seeking His face. I'm seeking His Word. I'm studying. I'm learning more about God. And when I'm in a, prob- a situation, a problem or a circumstance or whatever, that's adverse, I still seek the Lord. He hears me and delivers me from all of my other fears. And I want to show you something here. They looked unto Him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I like that, don't you? If God's saving us out of troubles, I mean, he'd be kind of ridiculous to be causing the troubles to come on us. I mean, unless there's something absolutely wrong there. I mean, I'll just, I'll knock him in the head and then I'll put a bandaid on it. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, does God do that? No, God's not doing anything like that. When I listen... I love this next verse. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Satan, that fear affliction, that fear persecution. No. Are we supposed to fear that more than fear God? No, we're not, are we? We're not supposed to fear the fact that affliction will come, persecution will come because we're learning more of the Word of God. We're to fear Him. We're to fear God. And when affliction comes then because we fear God, we fear God, we're serving God, we're seeking God, we're learning the Word as much as we can, we're building faith. We're taking bold steps toward God, bold steps toward sickness and disease and saying we'll not have any of it any longer. We refuse to give place to the devil. We stand against the opposition of the enemy, any adversity or whatever. We take a bold stand. We fear God more than we fear what He'll bring our way. We continue learning the Word of God and learning the Word of God. Beloved, look at this. You ready for it? If this doesn't bless your socks off, you don't have any socks on. (laughs) The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The angel of who? Now, you seen that word encampeth there? It means he pitches a tent around the person that fears God. To use it as an abode or a siege. That's what he does. The angel of the Lord pitches a tent around the one that fears God to use it for an abode or a siege. Which means a military blockade that he sets up to compel the enemy to surrender. Think about that. The angel of the Lord pitches his tent around you. To set up a military blockade to get the enemy to surrender because you fear God and not man or Satan or demons or all these other things that oppose us. Doesn't that remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? (laughs) He pitched his tent right there, didn't he? We won't fear you. We don't fear the persecution. We don't fear the affliction. And we don't fear the, the oven. The furnace. No. Our God is able and our God will. That's faith talking. See, they're being persecuted for what reason? For righteousness sake. Why were they being afflicted and persecuted? Because they wouldn't bow their knee to a false God or image. They walked in their righteousness. They wouldn't sit in the seat of the scornful. They wouldn't stand in the way of the sinner. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't walk in the path of the unjust or the evil man, the unrighteous man. They chose to walk with God. 
to meditate in the Word of God, to develop faith in God, to fear God. And the angel of the Lord was sent to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were challenged. And were they not challenged? Certainly they were. But they rose up victoriously because God fulfilled His Word. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear Him. For what reason? To deliver them. So, whatever the affliction may be, whatever the occasion may be, God sends His angel, the angel of the Lord Himself, to deliver us. And so that's why we need not fear. And beloved, I want you to see something else here. Look in, in the book of Daniel. With me, if you would, please. And chapter 10. You recall the instance where Daniel also refused to give in to persecution and affliction. And he found himself not at the Holiday Inn, not at the Embassy Suites, not at the Hyatt Regency or the Marriott or anything like that. Where did he find himself? One night stay in the lines then, free of charge. Right? Absolutely. But the Lord sent His angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Did you hear that? Now, I can only imagine, I mean, you know, we can just use our imagination and maybe just envision some of these things, but um, I can just see those lions down there just as hungry as can be. And they kept them hungry, you know that. They were starving. The whole purpose was that, so they'd be starving so that they would eat the person that was thrown in there. And so they were extremely hungry. But when Daniel got down there, they saw those angels. Or the angel of the Lord. And you know, they wouldn't move. They would not move. See, we talk about that and some, very often we, it's just like, oh yeah, that's something that happened. But you know, your angel's around you right now. I said, your angels around you right now. And if you fear God and you'll stand against persecution and affliction, if you'll stand up for righteousness sake, he's camped about you right now. He says, can you imagine that? Putting together a military blockade to get the enemy to surrender. I like that. He's camped about you for that reason. Pitched his tent. To fight for you. Amen. See, as you speak in line with the Word of God, you know angels come. And angels manifest themselves. And angels do things. Yes. And I'll show you that in Daniel 10. And look at verse 10. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved... Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." And I am come for thy words. We start speaking in line with the word of God. Angels are on assignment. Yes, sir. 
angels get busy. Too often we are focused in on ourselves, what we can do to resolve this matter. But beloved, we must develop the ability through the eye of faith to look beyond the natural, to look beyond ourselves and reach out into the spiritual sphere where we know that when we fear God and stand for righteousness' sake and refuse to bow the knee, that God all of a sudden unleashes the abilities of heaven the ministry of angels are activated and those angels begin to go and do that what which, that would say, say the Lord. Whatever God's word says that we speak, they begin to go out there and do exactly that very thing. Why? Because they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who are heirs of salvation and they hearken under the voice of God's word. Beloved, they are assigned to our lives. And as we speak in line with the covenant, you realize that angels then are activated on our behalf to see to it that the word of God is carried out? I'll show you that again. Look in the book of Exodus. Go on back to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23. And verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. That's the promised land that he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and their descendants. Beware of him. Beware of him. Beware of him. Are we consciously aware of the fact that angels are listening? Are we sensitive to the fact that angels are listening to our words? Beware of Him. Obey His voice. Provoke Him not. You ever provoke your angel? I'm sure we all have at one time or another. For He will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. It's important to know that angels are actively involved in God's affairs on earth. Angels were busy and are busy throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament and beloved, there's nothing that tells us that angels have stopped doing the things that God instructed them to do from the beginning. He said in His Word, He makes His angels spirits. Did it not say that in the Word? And they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for us because we are heirs of salvation. And when we fear God more than the opposition, and we start speaking in line with the Word of the covenant, and we speak it out in faith, believing... We do so knowing there's more to be with us than there be with them. We do so knowing the angel of the Lord himself encamps, pitches a tent round about us to set up a military blockade. Yes. Thank you, Lord. That's pretty good. Amen. Ready to fight on our behalf, to see to it that the enemy surrenders. We speak the word then 
consciously aware of the fact that angels even go out there before us to pave the way. And that's exactly what this angel was assigned to do. Take them into the promised land. But see, they couldn't see that. They had no vision. They had no ability to see that. And so then their, their words were full of doubt and unbelief. And what God say? As you have spoken in mine ears, it's going to happen to you. I sent an angel out there to take you into the promised land. And even though they already conceded the land, they didn't get into the promised land. Why? Because they provoked the angel. They spoke doubt and unbelief and God couldn't honor them. And, and they came up short. Well, beloved, looks like we're going to have to do some of this on Sunday morning. Because we're about to get into some principles that are going to help us be doers of the Word of God. With regard to speaking in line. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the covenant, to, to James chapter 1. And we're going to begin sharing some principles that will enable us to be doers of this covenant. And not hearers only. Things that will help us understand that, that the God that we serve responds to faith. And also enlighten us so that we know how to handle situations that arise, afflictions that arise, persecutions that arise, and what character to maintain in the midst of all that. And principle number one is found in James chapter 1. And let's read just a couple of verses here. But it's with regard to afflictions, persecutions, troubles, situations, whatever comes against us. And why are they coming? To, to, to take the Word of God away from us. To remove faith from our hearts. To see to it that the Word does not grow in us to produce fruit in our lives. Because the Word is what He's afraid of. That is the enemy. And if that does take place, remember, we become a threat to His kingdom. And so the enemy will bring all kinds of things our way. But if we know the angel of the Lord encamps around us, if we know that as we fear God, His eyes are upon us to deliver us from all of our problems, all of our troubles, all of our afflictions, all of our persecutions, if we know that, we can face those things with boldness and great confidence. When we know that God is not the author of our problems, we know that God is not taking babies' lives. He is not killing people. He's not causing car wrecks. He's not calling plane, causing plane wrecks. Beloved, I think I need to emphasize this. And I'm going to reiterate this. I say this all the time when I talk about Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. And I, I just hear people preaching that on the radio constantly. And it's taking a scripture out of its setting and using it to, to say something that it does not mean at all. God is not authorizing these things. He is not causing these things. And then someone quotes, well, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. And I always thought that was just a, a terrible misuse of Scripture. And it always really got to me, which you can tell. But one day I read an article which absolutely floored me about passed out. Having read this article, I thought, how brainwashed can anyone be? How gullible can anyone be? And my heart just went out to this woman who is a full gospel, born-again, spirit-filled person who was raped and at the end of her article, admitting that she's not recovered from the situation and it was after years after it had happened, she concludes it by saying, I may never understand, but at least I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, implying that her being raped was working together for her good. And I thought, someone's got to speak out against this. Amen. This is absurd. Amen. 
This is absurd. This woman actually has been taught, brainwashed, and she thinks her being raped was working together for her good. It's going to make her a better Christian. This is mindless. This makes no sense, beloved. Can you understand how the enemy will, will want to inject those kinds of thoughts into people's minds? Why? Because that person will never grow. That faith will never develop. Well, all these things are working together for my good. So, case that off, set off. Whatever will be, will be. No, a thousand times no. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, I believe that there's deliverance for God's people. Principle number one. My, verse 2 of James 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This will go against human reasoning. It will go against natural thinking. If we want to walk in line and in the light of the covenant, in line with the covenant, then we've got to know that God does things differently, different than what we do. When we are attacked, when we have affliction, when we have persecution, our natural feelings and emotions will rise up against things and there will be upheaval, will be confused, hurt, and all that in the natural. But God says, count it all joy. In order to unleash the ability of God, in order to... Activate the ministry of angels. We must do what God says do. And he'll respond accordingly. Because he watches over his word to perform it. And so the first principle is, if you're going to walk in faith, this is what faith is all about. Count it all joy. And this is a command given to us. The word count there is like an army command. You know, command joy in the situation. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your fortified place. The joy of the Lord is the strength of our lives. And if the enemy can, through affliction and persecution, take our joy away, our strength is gone. We're vulnerable. There's no fortified place there. And that's exactly why he'll come in if we're shallow. Remember that Mark 4 said, if we're shallow in our understanding, we have no root in ourselves. What that means is, once again, I heard it by the wayside. Brother Doodad said it. He did it. It worked for him. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to do the same thing. It should work for me. No, there was no root in himself. And so when the affliction arose, trying to mimic somebody else didn't cut it. What we've got to do is, is meditate the Word of God for ourselves to get a hold of it and say, I'm going to count it all joy because I've read James. And I know the trying of my faith works patience. And I know where this has come from. I know what it's designed to do. It's designed to get me to think that God is my problem, that God is doing this to me, that God is trying to burden me down with all this, trying to make something out of me this way through affliction and persecution. No, I know that the Bible says that, that, that God gives me life in abundance, that God is on my side, that God is with me, God is for me, and God is in me. I recognize where that's coming from. It's coming from the kingdom of darkness. And you know what? I count it all joy, hallelujah, and glory to the living God, not for the problem. And there's another thing where we become very naive and gullible. Well, in everything give thanks. We don't thank God for the problem. No, we don't want problems and we don't thank God for problems. We...
Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.